Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that pays tribute to people of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're reflecting on the tragic tale of Ishii, a Native American man who lost his family and his way of life to Western expansion. After resisting assimilation for half a century, he was compelled to join the society of his oppressors, where he quickly learned how right he'd been to avoid it. The day was August 29th, 1911. The last surviving member of the Yahi people was found on the brink of starvation near a slaughterhouse in Oroville, California. He never divulged his true name, but he came to be known as Ishii, the Yana word for man. Ishii and his family had spent decades living in the remote mountains of Northern California, but accident, disease, and even murder had claimed each of his companions until only he was left. In desperation, Ishii walked out of the wilderness of Butte County and ventured into modern civilization for the first time. Ishii is believed to have been born sometime between 1860 and 1862, just after the conclusion of the California Gold Rush. He was a member of the Yahi people, an especially secluded branch of the Yana tribe. In the previous decade, miners in search of gold had pushed deeper and deeper into the California wilderness. 
This brought them into direct conflict with isolated groups of Native Americans, including the Yahi, who happened to live in close proximity to the region's mines. Soon, the influx of white settlers began to disrupt the Yahi's traditional way of life. They set up camps on Yahi hunting grounds and polluted local streams with the runoff from their excavations. Gradually, the deer and other wildlife scattered, and the once boundless supply of salmon dried up. As if the threat of starvation weren't bad enough, the settlers also brought unfamiliar diseases like smallpox and measles, for which Native Americans had no immunity. Some tribes fought against this encroachment, but they were outnumbered and outgunned by the settlers. By the time of Ishii's birth, the newly established towns were so annoyed by these attempts at resistance that they started to set bounties on the native population. Robert Anderson and other so-called Indian hunters led numerous raids on the Yahi, earning 50 cents for every scalp they collected and $5 for every head. In 1865 alone, approximately 70 members of the Yahi people were killed in such raids. This led the remaining few hundred members, including Ishii and his family, to split off into smaller groups. Ishii and his family made a quiet life for themselves on a cliff overlooking Deer Creek. There, they carried on the Yahi traditions as best they could, while elsewhere, the remaining members of their people were systematically slaughtered. The family kept to themselves for the next 40 years, careful to remain out of sight of the Anglo society that steadily grew all around them. By the first decade of the 20th century, Ishii was all that remained of his family and his people. Driven by starvation, he eventually made his way to the town of Oroville, about 70 miles north of Sacramento. He was discovered there by ranchers and taken to the local jail, not because he'd committed a crime, but because the sheriff couldn't think of a safer place to keep him. Ishii was approximately 50 years old, was clearly lost and emaciated, and spoke no English. The townspeople gawked at the so-called Stone Age Indian, but beyond that, they weren't sure what to do with him. News of Ishii traveled fast, and by the end of the week, two anthropologists from UC Berkeley had come to Oroville to meet him in person. These professors, Alfred Krober and Thomas Waterman, recognized Ishii's dialect and were able to identify him as the last known survivor of the Yahi. They arranged to bring Ishii back to live on their campus, and over the next five years, he taught them everything he could about his disappearing culture. It wasn't a comprehensive account, as Ishii had been born when his population was already in decline, and since he'd been raised apart from most of his people, he didn't know as many traditions as earlier generations would have. Still, he was able to demonstrate toolmaking and hunting skills, and to describe aspects of Yahi society such as family units, naming patterns, and even a few sacred ceremonies. Ishii also helped preserve his own language by recording many tribal stories and songs onto wax cylinders. Thankfully, these century-old recordings still exist, allowing us to hear the Yahi language through the voice of its last native speaker. Take a listen. Brandena, <laughs> 
The work that Krober, Waterman, and Ishii completed together was of great historical importance, and over time, the men developed a mutual respect for one another. For instance, in Waterman's writings, he remarked on Ishii's, quote, gentlemanliness, which lies outside of all training and is an expression of inward spirit. That said, there was an undoubtedly exploitative side to their relationship. Ishii was given free room and board at the UC Museum of Anthropology in San Francisco, but in exchange he was put to work, not only as a research subject, but as an assistant janitor. That arrangement on its own may seem fair enough, but Ishii was also expected to contribute in other, more detrimental ways. Every Sunday, the museum held a kind of reception, where Ishii was required to shake hands with the paying guests, who sometimes numbered in the thousands. Over time, those events grew in scope, until Ishii was also hosting weekly demonstrations of tribal customs, including how to make arrowheads and how to weave a fishnet. His financial compensation for this work was minimal, and at the time of his death, he had less than $200 to his name. Exploited though he was, Ishii was not a prisoner of the museum, and he reportedly took great pleasure in exploring the parks of San Francisco, including the Bison Enclosure and Golden Gate Park. He also developed an appreciation for modern conveniences, such as streetcars and ferries. Oh, and apparently he also had a bit of a sweet tooth, being especially partial to donuts and ice cream sodas. Sadly, Although Ishii was able to adapt to some aspects of Euro-American civilization, he remained incredibly vulnerable to its diseases. He was often sick during his years at the museum, almost certainly as a result of being exposed to germs during his compulsory handshaking sessions. In 1916, he contracted tuberculosis and died from it on March 25th of that year at the estimated age of 56. Ishii had witnessed several post-mortem examinations while working at the museum and had been greatly disturbed by the idea of human autopsies. He believed that dismembering the body did violence to the spirit as well, so before his death, he requested that his body be cremated so his spirit could be released intact. Alfred Krober promised to honor that request, but when Ishii fell ill in early 1916, rumors began to swirl that an autopsy would indeed be performed. At the time, Krober was away in New York, but he caught wind of the plan to remove and preserve Ishii's brain. To his credit, Krober tried to prevent this desecration. In a letter to the museum's director, he wrote, quote, Please shut it down. I must ask you, as my personal representative on the spot in this matter, to yield nothing at all under any circumstances. If there is any talk about the interests of science, say for me that science can go to hell. We propose to stand by our friends. That letter was written on March 24, 1916, one day before Ishii's death. It arrived in California too late. In the end, Ishii's body was burned in accordance with his wishes, but not before Dr. Saxon Pope removed Ishii's brain in the interest of science. Tellingly, when Alfred Krober returned to the museum in October, no use had been found for the preserved brain, and it was eventually offered to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. As you might expect, 
the researchers there didn't have much use for it either. As a result, Ishii's brain was stowed away in a storage facility in Maryland, where it remained for the rest of the 20th century. In 1998, Native American activists and allies learned of the brain's whereabouts. For the better part of three years, they lobbied for it to be repatriated to the closest relatives of the Yahi, the Redding, Rancheria, and Pitt River tribes of the Yana people. Recent studies had suggested that the Yahi may have intermarried with those tribes during their decline. If that was the case, then their descendants were entitled by law to the remains of their ancestor. The Smithsonian eventually bowed to public pressure, and in August of 2000, Ishii's brain was returned to his people. Later that year, it was reunited with the ashes of his body, and finally laid to rest in an undisclosed location on Mount Lassen in Northern California. In the ancestral home of his people, Ishii finally rests in peace. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. What are you looking for in a new smart TV? 4K picture quality? High quality and immersive sound? A sleek design? All of those are givens, but only the new Roku Pro Series has all of those and the Roku Streaming Experience, an award-winning OS. Get fast, easy access to all your apps like iHeart, where you can stream all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts all day, and regular all-inclusive trips to Roku City. The new Roku Pro Series, a smart TV built by the streaming pros. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. 
So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.